Welcome to the Christian Outlook, the weekly radio program that sorts through the issues in our fast-changing world in a way that honors your Christian faith. Brought to you in partnership with our sponsor, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. This week, while other developed nations step back from transgender ideology, we're pressing full steam ahead. In the case of Biden, he's using the full power of the Justice Department to force this ideology in schools all over the country. We'll hear from Albert Moeller with a biblical understanding of it all. It is against nature. With failing banks and economic angst, we'll get pastoral perspective. He says, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And economist Jerry Boyer. This is the intersection of bad finance and bad leadership. All this and more. I'm Gino Geraci, your host this week, coming to you from my home station, 94.7 FM, The Word in Denver, where I host Crosswalk each weekday afternoon. You can hear my own program on 94.7 FM and at 94.7 FM, The Word.com. Take a moment to follow Christian Outlook on Twitter at TC Outlook. That's TC Outlook. And follow me as well at Geraci Gino. That's at G-E-R-A-C-I-G-I-N-O. Great to be with you. We'll begin with the rapid rise we're seeing today with growing numbers of young people identifying as a gender different than his or her own biological sex. Immediately related to that rise is the willingness of educational, medical, and political leaders to quickly affirm and pursue what they've labeled gender-affirming care. Don Crow turned to veteran conservative activist Gary Bauer, now president of the group American Values, from WAVA in the nation's capital. And you also observe, while many other nations and even sympathetic transgender activists are rejecting this insanity being pushed on children, the American left's all in. Joe Biden, our president, says it was sinful and terrible to protect confused children from these life-changing and, as you put it, mutilating surgeries, irreversible in many cases. Yes, I mean, look, there's going to be a price to pay for this down the road. I, I just saw today that somebody that bought into all of this has figured out a couple of years later that she was deceived, and now she's suing one of the big health care companies that promoted this uh, gender change ideology. Uh, and of course, in the case of Biden, he's using the full power of the Justice Department to force this ideology in schools all over the country. And I, you know, a, a lot of Americans have been confused about this because it just sort of sprang up all of a sudden. But the bottom line is what's actually happening in real life is that boys who claim they are girls are able to go into girls' bathrooms, changing rooms, whenever they want, because they claim they're a girl. We had, as you know, Don, this terrible case right in this area in Northern Virginia where a boy went into a girl's bathroom and a sexual assault took place. And we're getting incidents like this all over the country. So the whole transgender movement is anti-woman. It takes away women's opportunities. It violates young girls' privacies. And every advancement it makes erases women. Uh, When you see award shows where women are supposed to be recognized, and one of the winners will be a man wearing a dress claiming he's a woman. So I'm hoping that feminists around America who have made a lot of progress 
will start being more courageous and speak up against this nonsense. Well, we all know, you and I certainly know, and many of our listeners know the words of one of the prophets of old who said, you've sown the wind and you're reaping the whirlwind. And it was the children then who reaped the devastation of the sins of their nation. And you've said for decades, the left, for decades, folks, think of this, the left has been attacking and deconstructing the family. Women were told they didn't need men, children didn't need fathers. So now we have the bitter fruit, don't we? We certainly do. Uh, The country is going to destroy itself if we keep up on all these various issues in which we're undermining the mental health and psychological health and physical health of our own children. It's got to stop. It will lay us low much sooner than any enemy abroad will be able to do it. The widespread embrace of the entire LGBTQ sexual revolution has forced Christians to think through a range of issues that were, for generations, simply agreed upon truths. I think you'll appreciate the comments from Albert Moeller. The immediate context for Dr. Moeller's comments come in response to a student ballot question at Wellesley College, a historic women's college, where they're looking to accept all non-binary and transgender students. From his briefing podcast, If you go back about five years ago, most of the Seven Sisters, these most famous of American women's colleges, very historic, very wealthy, very influential, accepting only women for the entirety of their history, they decided that they would accept just about anyone except a biological male identifying as a male or even a biological female identifying as a male. In other words, they basically came to the consensus that you could be admitted to and a part of one of these historic women's colleges so long as you did not identify in any way as a male. So they have these two goals they have established, at least in theory. One of them is the old historic understandable goal of being a women's college, But the other is the very modern leftist progressivist goal of being on the cutting edge of the LGBTQ revolution. Again, you can have one. You can't have the other. It's going to get complicated. But in these historic women's colleges, as I say, by the time you get to the end of the last decade, it's basically anyone can apply and be admitted and be a part of the campus so long as you are not either a biological male identifying as a male or a biological female identifying as a male. If you identify as a male right now, guess what? No admission, no acceptance, no being on the campus. But that is until this week. So how, from a Christian worldview perspective, do we look at this? Well, there's one obvious way of looking at it, and that is this is nuts. And so you come to understand the biblical worldview gives us the order of creation. God loves us so much that he doesn't leave us on our own to figure these things out. He made us male and female, and thanks be to God, he told us he made us male and female. He made us obviously different, even in terms of visible shape, and he made us very different in terms of role and also in terms of physiology. Let's just say that's an objective reality. No academic leftist can deny ultimately the biological reality. But here's where we get to an understanding of how this happens. How do you explain confusion over this? Well, the biblical worldview says that all confusion, all moral rebellion, all sin, it's all traceable back to the fall. And this is where the Bible tells us you don't have to try to track whose sin influenced human history in what way in every case, because the bottom line answer is always going to be Adam and Eve. It's going to go back to the beginning. But we do understand that the Christian worldview tells us there is proximate sin that leads to proximate confusion. 
This is to say that it takes a certain level of the denial of the obvious to say certain things. In other words, you have to explain how people can look at something and then say, it's obviously not what it looks like. It is obviously something else. Well, the point is, it's not. It's obviously what it is. Male is male and female is female. That's resolutely true. Now, the Christian worldview says that this is thus demonstrated in a symmetry of creation. I hope you're following with me. Confusion is traceable back to the fall. The symmetry is a part of the order of creation. That is to say, the way it's supposed to be. How does that symmetry work? Well, it works this way. It always works for a man to be a man. It always works for a woman to be a woman. It doesn't work if you mess that up. Another way of looking at it is this. Symmetry or alignment with the order of creation means that you get the goods of creation, and that would include if you put a man and a woman together, the scripture says, in the context of marriage, then one of the goods you get is babies. If you put together a man and a man or a woman and a woman, guess what you don't have? Well, first of all, you don't have marriage according to the scripture and according to creation. You also don't get babies. So there's another principle of the Christian worldview, and we're going deep today, and I know that because we have to in order to understand the scale of what we're looking at here, and that has to do with abstraction. Now, what I mean by that is easy to understand. The further you abstract a situation from creation order, the more sin enters into the situation, the more confusion is baked into the cake, and the more self-delusion is necessary. The self-delusion is a part of that abstraction. In other words, it's one step, and this is hard for Christians to think about, but I want you to think about this with me for just a moment. The Bible says, for example, that all sin is sin. The Bible says that all sexual expression outside of marriage is sin. And so you have, let's just say, fornication, which is sex outside of marriage between a man and a woman. That is sin. It's identified very clearly in Scripture as sin. But you know what the Scripture doesn't say about that? It says it's sin, but it doesn't say that it's against nature. Now, you add marriage to the equation, and the sin is just made more obviously sinful, because now you have the breaking of a vow, you have the violation of a covenant. And so that just adds to what the old Puritans called the exceeding sinfulness of sin. But then you get to some other levels of sin, and when you're talking about this kind of abstraction from creation, this is exactly what the Apostle Paul talks about in Romans chapter 1 when he talks about men exchanging the natural use of the woman and burning with passion one for the other, doing unseemly things. And similarly, he describes female homosexuality in almost exactly the same terms. But what he says is that it is against nature. That is to say, it's not just sin— In terms of breaking the law of God, this is something so obvious that it seeks to defeat nature, but nature won't be defeated. And this is where, from a Christian perspective, I think we just need to understand that the transgender non-binary revolution, and we say this with full sympathy for people who are struggling with these self-conceptions and impulses, the reality is that this is an even deeper revolt against creation order. Now you're actually arguing that the categories of man and woman, male and female, are not fixed categories and are not tied to biology, when the very opening chapter of Scripture says explicitly that they are. So here's where the water hits the wheel, so to speak. This is where the headline jumps out at us. If you're going to be an historic woman's college, but you don't know who a woman is, guess what? Abstraction will kill you. You're going to end up with a situation in which you're going to eventually have people who think themselves men on your campus because you have no intellectual defense left in order to say, no, we're a woman's college. If you don't know who a woman is, guess what? Bingo, you're no longer a woman's college. 
So it's really interesting along these lines to see some confirmation and acknowledgement of this coming from the president of the student body at Wellesley. Her name is Alexandra Brooks. In an interview she gave to the New York Times before the student vote was taken and then before the policy was changed, she said, quote, We're just asking the administration to put on paper what's already true of the student body. Trans men go to Wellesley, non-binary people go to Wellesley, and they kind of always have. I'm simply going to interject here. I really doubt that in any overt sense they always have. There have been problems with all kinds of sexual issues on all kinds of campuses, but this is something new. But as she continued, the student body president went on to say, and this is where you have willful self-delusion, quote, a new policy, she said, would not in any way change the culture of the school. Oh, right. It won't in any way change the culture of the school. You had an historic women's college, but now you don't even know who a woman is. Oh, nothing's going to change. Coming up, financial jitters as Silicon Valley Bank collapses. This is the intersection of bad finance and bad leadership. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment, stay with us. Celebrating our 25th anniversary, the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy invites you to learn from one of our beloved teachers, Dr. Gordon Lloyd, in a four-part webinar series titled The Roots of Political Economy, Capitalism versus Socialism. This free video series teaches foundational principles of free markets, as well as the philosophers behind socialism. Find out more at go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. That's go.pepperdine.edu slash capitalism. Closing time, open all the doors. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Gino Geraci. Silicon Valley Bank was the nation's 16th largest bank, with an emphasis on that word was. It's now the second largest bank failure in the nation's history. After that, we've heard concerns about First Republic and a number of other smaller banks across the nation. All this coupled with the looming recession, and people have started to get nervous. Scott Furrow, host of Southern California Live, turned to Steve Wilburn, pastor of Core Church L.A. I've got emails from every possible bank, even banks I don't belong to, telling me what's going on, don't be afraid. That's right. And the reason they're doing that is they don't want to cause a bank rush with people doing that because that's what happened with the collapse in the Great Depression. So if Christians are a little fearful of these things, what do you think the basic non-believer is, which is the majority of the population? And somebody who does not have hope, the hope that's in Christ, the that's hope right. that is not related to their own actions. That's right. But hope that is built on the actions of the living God. How do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I think, I think the world is freaking out. I mean, they're yeah. not saying it, but they're freaking out. But let's deal with the Christian first because we have a place to go to. I, I love what Jesus said. In John 16, 33, he says, these things I've spoken unto you. Who's the you there? The you is the true believer in Jesus. It's the disciple. It's the follower. It's it's his son and his daughter. He says, but I've spoken these things to you so that you would not fear. He says, you know, in the world, you're going to have tribulation. There's going to be times where hurricanes come through. Tornadoes are going to blast. Tsunamis are going to hit. But be of good cheer. Mm. I have overcome the world. 
This is how you overcome your fear. Absolutely. You, there's nothing to fear. Bank failures, your economic collapse, that's all in the Bible. That happens. It happens to good people. It happens to bad people. That's Read right. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's all there. It rains on the righteous, and it rains on the wicked. That's right. You, you begin to find that the Word of God is so comforting in good times and bad because it covers everything, and it always points you to the truth of the kingdom of God and who God is and that He loves you. And that this is only a blip, this part of life we're living in anyway. That's right. right? That if you believe in Jesus, if you put your trust in Jesus, you've got eternal life. You know, if you right. lost all your money in the bank so much, you can't take it with you anyway. That's right. And, you know, Psalm 90, verse 10, you know, God shortened man's lifespan. So mm. this is uh, if you were to live a full life, a full life is 70 years, according yeah. to Psalm 90, verse 10. And it's 80 years if you're completely blessed. So uh, with that said, it's like God is going to give us eternal life. Think about that. We have for the true believer life without end forever. Okay. That's a long time. I mean, 50 gazillion years from now, we are still together and alive. We are all together. So this is why it's so important ultimately to share the faith. This is why Jesus said in Matthew chapter five, he says, you're the salt of the earth. Hmm. But if the salt has lost its saltiness, then what good is it? That's okay, right. so what what is salt good for? Okay, well, salt really is good for two things. It's one for seasoning, and two for preserving. Every believer listening on the radio right now, we are to be the salt of the earth, the light of the world. That's what Jesus said. So we, in the midst of the fear, and as He says in Second Timothy one seven, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. We need to be that preservative in this world right now that shares the light of Jesus with this sick and dying world. Because if Christians are a little worried about what's going on, the world is freaking out around us. That's right. How we got where we are today with the fiscal and financial crisis is no simple tale. And there's no easy way out of it. I turned to veteran economist Jerry Boyer, a member of Salem's editorial board. Tell us why this story is so important. Well, it's important because it illustrates a series of failures on the part of our ruling class, which together add up to this significant crisis. And this is the intersection of bad politics, bad monetary policy, bad finance, and bad leadership. And so this was a house built on sand. Mm -hmm. And the house built on stone looks exactly like a house built on sand right up until a storm comes. And when the storm comes, uh, the house built on sand is washed away. So Silicon Valley Bank is a bank that's had serious problems. It was vulnerable already. The storm was that our central bank has had to pop the bubble that it created. And the way it pops bubbles is it takes money out of the economy. So the central bank, the Fed, violating the foundational biblical principle of just weights and measures, severely debased the dollar. And that led to inflation. So the inflation got so bad that eventually they had to stop denying it or pretending it wasn't there or pretending it was about to go away. And they fought it. And by fighting it, they popped that bubble. You know, that especially affected uh, banks uh, because banks hold things called treasury bonds. Mm -hmm. And treasury bonds are exactly the thing that the central bank sells 
when it's trying to contract the money supply and pull back and fight inflation. It literally sells those bonds. Okay, pause so the for price just... goes down tremendously, and Silicon Valley Bank had a lot of those bonds and right. had a lot of long-term bonds, and they go down the most. Right. S- Silicon Valley Bank purchased $80 billion in 10-year U.S. Treasury notes. Now, um, if S- Silicon Valley Bank, according to the information I have, became – either the 15th or the 16th largest bank in America. It yeah. tripled in size. It, in 2020, it had 55 two years. billion. Right. Yeah, yeah, it had yeah, 55. It in size in two years. That's reckless. It has $55 billion in deposits. It had $186 billion last week. It had $175 billion. How could something grow so quickly and, and then collapse so suddenly? Well, the growing quickly is part of the collapsing suddenly. Mm. That's how bubbles work. That's a reckless amount of growth. So why could it grow so quickly? Because the government said, stay home. Don't go to the mall. Don't go to the restaurant. Mm -hmm. uh, Don't go to the theaters. Stay home. Click. We'll send you stuff. So that was a huge subsidy to Silicon Valley. That was a huge uh, subsidy to the tech sector. Uh, the government, in order to keep, you know, pay us for not working, had to create all this money. And like I said, the way they create money is they literally buy treasury bonds. Mm-hmm. So there were these two bubbles created by a combination of bad government monetary policy and bad government uh, social policy in the form of a you know, nearly complete shutdown of the economy. Silicon Valley Bank acted as though that was going to go on forever. When there was no way it was going to go on forever. It wasn't the new world. It was a temporary thing. And so they grew as quickly as they could. And by growing so quickly, they left themselves vulnerable because they have deposits, right? You're pointing out that yeah, they had yeah. $180 billion in deposits. Well, here's the thing. A deposit to you and me, a deposit is an asset. If I have a deposit at the bank, that's an asset to me. What is it to them? It's a liability to them. They owe that deposit back to me. Anytime I want, I can go and say, give that to me. That's a debt to them. So that's an increase in liabilities, and a more prudent bank would have not allowed the liabilities to increase that quickly. And a more prudent bank would have said, you know, there's a pretty good chance the central bank is going to raise interest rates. Everyone seems to think they are. The futures market says they are. The Fed says they are. Um, so maybe we shouldn't own all these 10-year treasury bonds, which get really hit hard when the uh, Fed tightens. But they didn't. They were distracted. What were they distracted by? I think it was largely social justice and ideology. Coming up, regulators ordered the banks to make bad loans. It's as simple as that. More with Jerry Boyer when the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. Hi, it's Mike Gallagher. I start every day by reading through the stories at Daybreak Insider. It's a look at today's most compelling stories and provides responses from key conservatives in media and politics. Over a quarter million people get Daybreak Insider by email daily, and it's available to you at no cost. Go to daybreakinsider.com and simply plug in your email. That's daybreakinsider.com. In five minutes, you will be the most informed person in the office. That's daybreakinsider.com. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook, brought to you in partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu. I'm Gino Geraci. The banking crisis that we're looking at today is rooted in the challenges we're seeing on the broader economy. 
Our government had a spending problem long before the challenges created by our response to the pandemic. But in the wake of COVID, we have watched our leaders double down on bad decisions. Let's pick up with a bit more of my conversation with Jerry Boyer, host of the Meeting of Minds podcast. Is Silicon Valley Bank a normal bank at least in some respect, and are there other banks that seem to have the same characteristics of Silicon Valley Bank where you are thinking, wait a minute, they're also at risk, they could also collapse, or is this, uh, you know, conspiracy theory, dialogue, or, or is there a legitimate reason to be concerned that other banks share characteristics with Silicon Valley Bank and are subject to collapse? Yes, it's legitimate. I don't see how it's a conspiracy theory. These sorts of things pretty commonly spread, and there's a reason that they spread. It makes perfect sense. People call it a contagion. A contagion. Um, right. I don't think the contagion is the right analogy, right? Like if I'm sick and I sneeze on you, you weren't sick before I sneezed on you, but then I sneeze on you and you get sick. That's not how these work. What happens is Silicon Valley Bank is revealed to have been sick for some time. Mm -hmm. It was already unsound. It's just circumstances revealed, just like in the Sermon on the Mount. The storm comes and then you find out, you know, who was built on stone uh, and who was built on sand. Or, you know, a less pious analogy is the, you know, the tide goes out and you see who was swimming naked. So Silicon Valley Bank had problems. So then what happens is investors and auditors and regulators and lawyers, they start to say, who else might have similar problems? And they look around and find out who else is already sick, too. Now, Jerry, and you've written about this in the past and thought about it over the last several months. There's several ways that both the Fed and the government could have responded to the Silicon Valley bank collapse. Give us a, a tiny understanding of what options were available, the option that they took. And do you agree or disagree with what the government did in this specific instance? Well, the options that are available are largely do nothing uh -huh. and let the market purge this or bail out the bank and, you know, keep the bank afloat and bail out the shareholders and, you know, recapitalize it or kind of in between are the things that they, they basically are doing, which is to make sure that the depositors are covered even the depositors who aren't technically covered under but the shareholders are not covered in this particular instance. Yes. Uh, so they kind of took the middle course. But at some point, if we don't fundamentally change direction, and that point is maybe not as far off as it used to be, then we're going to end up with a crisis that we can't deal with by just guaranteeing deposits or putting some extra money into the economy. We've got to fundamentally change direction, um, and I just don't think we're ready for it. By the way, the idea that we didn't regulate enough is complete nonsense. We, how many banking crises do we need to have before we look at the banking sector, which is maybe the most regulated sector in America, mm -hmm. uh, and say, oh, all, this, all, this, all these problems are coming out of banking – it's not regulated enough. The problems, we don't have crises coming out of grocery store chains. We don't have crises coming out of auto dealerships. We don't have crises coming out of the you know, mostly free sectors of the economy. The crises keep coming out of the hyper-regulated sectors of the economy, like banks. Mm -hmm. We told banks in 2006, 7, and 8, we told banks, you better get rid of good credit standards because it's racist. 
if you look at credit ratings before you decide who to give a mortgage to. That's discrimination. And we told the banks, just lend and ignore credit ratings, and let's get the home ownership rate up as high as possible. We want to go from 60% to 70%. No matter how that bad is, a business model that is, no matter how bad a business model, that doesn't matter. Regulators ordered the banks to make bad loans. It's as simple as that. I, I'm, I'm not saying I love bankers. I'm just saying regulators under the uh, Community Reinvestment Act ordered the banks to do that. Uh, and regulators are hyper-regulating banks right now. Silicon Valley Bank was a very ESG bank. What does that mean? Yes. Environmental social governance. It means essentially a left political agenda reflected in a corporate boardroom. Silicon Valley Bank was the Ben and Jerry's of banking. It was basically as far left as a financial institution can be. So to turn around and say, oh, capitalism is to blame or conservatism is to blame um, is absolutely nonsense. They were focused on left-wing ideological goals, so they dropped the ball. I'm not saying that you know they necessarily had ESG investments, which went bad. What I'm saying is they were not the, – the chief risk officer planned a month-long gay, gay pride – a gay pride month, not a gay pride day, a gay pride month. She was completely devoted to this. She, she left her risk officer job for like nine months, and then the bank imploded. You can get the Meeting of Minds podcast at the Salem Podcast Network. Coming up, worship leaders Shane and Shane. And that's what kind of stuff happens when people fall in love with Jesus. They give their lives for him. When the Christian Outlook returns in a moment. As the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy enters our 25th anniversary year, we've remained committed to a single truth of world history, that ideas have consequences. To understand these ideas and their impact on today's politics, and to test them quantitatively, requires the unique curriculum we offer on our Malibu, California campus. Apply now for fall classes at pepperdine.edu spp. That's pepperdine.edu spp. All creatures of our God and King live. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Gino Geraci, host of Crosswalk on 94.7 FM, The Word in Denver. The challenges that we've looked at today in our program, I know, can leave a person with concerns about the future of our nation and perhaps about matters within your own life and family. But the Christian hope is unwavering. The hope of the gospel shines even brighter as our concerns on this side of eternity loom large. Worship artists Shane and Shane are singing faithfully of that great hope. They joined Christian Johnson of CCM Magazine. The question came up about authentic worship versus false worship. And um, I said, the way these guys answer this question is going to tell me a lot about them. (laughs) And you guys Mm -hmm. answered in such a way it was... You said, I, I can't judge the condition of anybody's heart. I can't say what's authentic or what's false. Um, and, and I think that's such an appropriate way because we live in a world where everybody wants to say, oh, this is the right way or this is the wrong yeah. way. Um, and, and I feel like when it comes to God, he's the only one that really knows. He's the only one that can judge where you're, where you're coming from because we're supposed to worship in spirit and in truth. And mm-hmm. um, I can't look at you and, you know, somebody could be doing all the right things on paper. But the heart isn't right. So um, I, I really appreciated the way that you guys answered that question. Um, how much of an influence do you feel that that type of mindset of wanting to be right or wanting to be wrong? Uh, how much has that created such a divide in the church or just Christians as a whole? Um, and how do we kind of get away from that? 
I think I think I, I and I sense it in your voice too. I think that there's a, a big divide there. Mm-hmm. I think people um and I don't think it's a ton of people, I think it's just a few loud people. Right, right, right. Um like to spend a lot of time and have for whatever reason have the time to kind of dive into that and we see that around in the world and media and all all the places. Um and I I, I just think it's you know, years ago, it was like, man, if if we feel like we're having a problem or we're, we're we're just we're we're not happy with with this song or this person or this singer, then let's just start writing songs. This is to stop talking. Right. Let's stop talking about it. I mean, we don't know them, mm-hmm. and let's just let's just start writing songs from God's word. If we think that's what's lacking, then let's let's just in our little tiny corner of the world, let's just do that and, and replace you know, thoughts about, you know, is somebody, um, is this guy a heretic or not? I mean, I mean, he's just, yeah, that, that's going to take a lot big deeper dive that I have time to take. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and I just don't want to. And so I, I do, I do feel like there's, um, I feel like there is something going on though, just where the church, uh, is unifying in some ways, mm-hmm. which is so beautiful. And I, I think at the worship initiative, that's one of our kind of our core values. And one of the things that sets us apart is that, man, we do songs from everybody's camps. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we're not just we're not just doing our songs. We just we're just like, is this song helpful? Awesome. Is this song helpful? Awesome. Is this song helpful? And so we want to like be a part of the church, the the bride of Christ, just being healthy and beautiful mm-hmm. and unifying in all the ways that we can and uh and so yeah yeah and i think too just uh, in, in that same vein it's like we man our 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 little world has enough trouble in its own you know what i mean raising a family being in community a part of a local body just like all the things that are happening in our little world it's like man i don't think we have to carry and shouldn't have to carry the mantle of God's, you know, mouthpiece to all the churches. Like, you know, it's like, we're not, we're not writing epistles like Paul was to all these churches that he kind of helped plant, you know, right, right. it's yeah. like, yeah, dude, we got the word of God to do that, you know, and, and the spirit, the spirit is active. It's like, we don't, we, we're, Hey, we're not God's police. You know what I mean? That's just not what we're, that's not what we're called to do. We're called to, you know, in whatever way we can to accurately hold the the word of God and the things that we say and speak and how we conduct ourselves in our lives. It's just mm-hmm. like, man, God doesn't need us to be his cops. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Trying to, trying to slap things down on, on everybody in the world, you know, cause it's like, man, we're going to hear things we don't agree with, but it's like, man. Don't need There's it. so much of that. I look at my uh, t- talk about that. One of the reasons why that first record was so bad is because of how horrible my theology was. Mm-hmm. And I knew the Lord and I loved the Lord. I had no business putting songs in people's mouths. Yeah. No business. Mm. Um, but I'm still a Christian. Right. It's crazy. He kept me and he keeps me by his grace and power for his glory. And, you know, 
Yeah. I mean, it's so it's like I'm the worst one. Uh, you could you could just go do a research. Pro- we we boast in singing the Bible, but just go back and look at our old music. Probably should take it down. No. <laughs> No, no, definitely not. No, I, I think it's those things that are needed as well, because um, it shows a point of your journey, you know, point of, a point of growth. And I think that's important to see. And I guess I'm a, I guess I want to see more of that unification, as we talked about, because the world is already so much against us as Christians. The yeah. last thing we need to be doing is fighting ourselves, you know, and yeah. we're not always going to agree on everything. Everybody's not going to do everything my way. Everybody's not going to do things your way. But I think at the core, as long as the word of God is the the message of it as long as uh, like you said there's 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 no weaving in of false doctrine i think we should be able to get behind it you know it may not be the style at my church it may not be the style at somebody else's church but as long as it ministers to somebody and gets them closer to god as long as i think that's what makes authentic worship um as long as at the heart of it we still find god like you said we're all like we're all on the same team you know right i right. mean <laughs> all just are longing for jesus to come back yeah and so I'm, I'm, you know, our, our buddy, Phil Wickham, who's been a dear friend of ours for years is coming out with this amazing Easter song. And I'm just praying for it, man. I just, I just, you know, why wouldn't I? Right. Right. It's like, I, I just, I just want him to come back. I want, I want that song to, to start something in somebody's heart that sends them over to Tajikistan mm. for, for the sake of the gospel. And, and that's what kind of stuff happens. When people fall in love with Jesus, they give their lives for him. Coming up. Believing that what you do or don't do has nothing to do with how God sees you. More with Shane and Shane when we return for the final segment of The Christian Outlook. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Christian Outlook. I'm Gino Geraci. Christ's all-sufficient merit. (laughs) As you go about your life, I hope and trust you found your personal hope, not in your work, but in his all-sufficient merit. That's the title of one track on Shane and Shane's new album release, Psalms, Hymns, and Spiritual Songs. Let's return for a few minutes of Shane and Shane with Christian Johnson of CCM Magazine. You know, as people are hanging in the balance of just trying to trust and believe all that Jesus did mm. on the cross, what all all the battles that were fought and won in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, and um, trying to trust that that's enough, and then also just looking toward the future and just saying out loud, "Hey, we know how the story ends, man. I mean, <laughs> you know what you did. We know what you're doing. We know what you, we know what's coming." And uh, that's enough for us. And, you know, if, if you've trust and then your future is real bright, super bright, maybe not your circumstance, but your your forever future is so bright. And so that's a song that I'm super excited just to see God use in churches like he's been using in our church and 
There's a song called All Sufficient Merit that I got to write with my wife that is so special. She sent it to me when we were working on this record and I read it out loud and I was just, just freaked out by it. Mm. I'm like, are you 500 years old? Secret. (laughs) Um, Wrapping, wrapping words from the Bible around um, this thought that we're not only forgiven, that he took our sin, put it on Jesus, saved us forever. But then he took the life of Jesus and he put that on us. Mm. So it's like, we're, we, we are not now seen and loved and accepted by our merit, but by his merit. And so that he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's a tough one to get, man. I mean, I don't, I don't, it's, that's just believing that what you do or don't do has nothing to do with how God sees you. That's a hard, that's a, it's impossible really. Mm. But the identity that you have in Jesus in God, you are in Christ, is a righteous identity. It's perfect. Mm. That's the lens that God views you because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. And so, I think we need a bunch of songs on that, man. I mean, it, I, this is just—I think it's—I think it's an awesome song. I can't—I can't wait for people to hear it, do it, sing it. That wraps up this edition of the Christian Outlook. Thanks for joining us today. Our program has been brought to you in part through our partnership with the Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy. For executive producer Russell Shubin and producers David Pashan, Mike Cook, and James Nichols, hey, I'm Gino Geraci. Join us again next time for the Christian Outlook. <laughs>